Are you tired of the same old business advice? Welcome to the Liberated CEO Experience, the podcast that's redefining entrepreneurial success one unscripted and candid conversation at a time. Get ready to soak up unfiltered stories of triumph, failure, and everything in between from trailblazers who are rewriting the rules of the game and building thriving businesses on their own terms. So if you're ready to level up your impact, income, and joy, all while staying true to your unique vision, you're in the right place. This is the Liberated CEO Experience. Welcome back, inspired entrepreneurs and impact creators. You've tuned in to another inspiring episode of the Liberated CEO Experience, the podcast that's all about enabling you to break molds and shape a business that leaves a legacy. I'm your host, Ty Goodwin, and today we're illuminating a transformative pathway, creating more impact by building a business around your passion. I am absolutely thrilled to have the incredible Freddie E. Taylor as the beacon for this episode. Freddie is a powerhouse in the world of Black history education. As the founder and CEO of Urban Intellectuals, Freddie has devoted his life to rewriting the narrative of Black culture and history that's often overlooked in mainstream education, proving that passion can indeed fuel profound impact. Freddie is a multifaceted entrepreneur, passionate history enthusiast, and dedicated philanthropist who has made a significant impact in the world of Black history education. Determined to create a more accurate and empowering narrative of Black culture, he founded UI and developed the widely acclaimed Black history flashcards, selling over 400,000 card decks online and in Target. Then expanding that offering to the number one Black history club for children, the Sankofa Club, the UI travel movement, and the Black Math Genius Program. In this episode, we'll delve into Freddie's origin story, unpacking the passion that drives him and how he has crafted a business that not only fuels this passion, but also creates transformative ripples in society. Freddie will share his journey, insights, and lessons, offering an inspiring blueprint for building a passion-fueled business that creates meaningful impact. So if you're ready to stoke the fires of your passion and learn how to shape it into a business that changes lives, this is your stop. Buckle in, open your heart, and let's journey into the world of passionate entrepreneurship with the amazing Freddie Taylor, right here on the Liberated CEO Experience. So for those of you who have listened to me, one of the things you know is that I am a total nerd, bibliophile, book lover, knowledge seeker, lifelong learner. And one of the things I didn't say in the bio was actually that I came across Freddie's content long before I ever got a chance to meet him in person. I am that auntie who gives books for gifts. (laughs) Okay. I'm that kind of geek. And I had a nephew and I bought flashcards, Black history flashcards. I was so excited. I remember when I first found them, all I could think of was I wish I'd had those when I was a classroom teacher years ago. So I got that for my nephew. I was so excited. So imagine how thrilled I was years later when I finally got to meet the myth, the man, the legend (laughs) that we're talking to today. And so Freddie, I am so excited to get to have this conversation with you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing today? Listen, I am thrilled because first of all, if you follow him online, and we're going to make sure all those links are in the show notes, but he's always about the mischief. 
<laughs> one, of my, one of his favorite posts says, what are we mad at this week? And I love going through and reading all that kind of stuff. But you also got to find somebody who is sincerely opening the gateways, opening the doors for people to understand about our culture, about our heritage, about where we come from, about Africa in our major way. However, there's more to this that meets the eye because just like most of our superheroes that we're used to, Black Panther, right? We know all those kind of superheroes that we've got. There's an origin story to this that I did not know about. And so that's what we're going to dive in today. And so, Freddie, take us way back, (laughs) because this is not your first business. Oh, goodness gracious. No, I've had a number of them. But I think the origin of like how I became an entrepreneur before we get into the businesses is good. So I was a pretty good high school athlete. I played football and on the team that I went to a Catholic school, one of the players I went to school with and played on a team with his father owned the business called the Process Development Corporation. Summer after graduation, I work in the Process Development Corporation in the accounting department, right? Mm-hmm. Have I told you this? I don't think I've told you. No, I, don't, I haven't no, mentioned this. I've never story. heard this before. Yeah, so I work in the, the accounting department. So I'm opening the checks. I'm inputting the data. I'm doing the mail. I'm distributing checks on runs. But I got to tell you, opening the mail of a large organization, this is the mid early mid-90s. And they were doing, I know now, they were doing like $42 million a year. I'm floored, right? I'm just blown away because I'm opening these checks and I'm literally opening checks, $700,000, $500,000, 1.2. And I'm just mind blown right now. I'm from Inkster, Michigan. I've never seen nothing remotely close to this in my life. And I didn't work my desk. I can't say my office, my... (laughs) My desk in the corner was not far from Mr. Pongra's office. So I remember going in there, kicking down the door. Bam, I kicked the door open. All right, I knocked on the door. He he allows me in. I'm like, Mr. Pongra's. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are these checks? Like, these checks are amazing. I've never seen anything like this in my life. How can I get checks like this? I need this, Mr. Pongra's. And he just told me flat out. He said, Freddie, if you want to make money like this, you want to earn income like this, you can't work for nobody. You have to be an entrepreneur. You have to create value in the marketplace and people will gladly give you money. They'll give you more than this. I remember him telling me that and it stuck with me. And then I have to go off to college and you're thinking about, you know, everybody's asking you, what do you want to be? What job do you want? And I'm like, I'm still shell shocked because I'm like, I don't want a job. (laughs) I want to be an entrepreneur. That's really like where I started. And then in college, I got an undergraduate degree in marketing and a master's in business administration. But in college, like I started starting businesses, right? Mm-hmm. I got, I think my first business, I was in network marketing. Okay. Yeah, that's like a lot, how a lot of us start looking for, uh-huh. for opportunities to leverage time, really, yeah, and other people's efforts. So that didn't last very long. <laughs> I got into direct sales. Uh-huh. Once we graduated and I moved to Texas, I used to live in Dallas. I don't know if you oh, knew wow. that. I didn't know that either. I used to live in North Dallas and I got involved with a direct selling organization and that wasn't going to work out as well either. Now, the interesting part of this story is the belief my wife has in me <laughs> because we got married. We had a baby. We moved away from everybody. This is 2001. We moved to Mm -hmm. Dallas. The market crashes. 9-11 happened. So you got two fresh young MBA graduates ready to take on the world that can't really find work at the time. But then my wife finds a gig that she actually loves with JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. She loved this particular Mm -hmm. position. But the bright, enterprising young husband that she had said, (laughs) I know you love your gig 
but hey, I got an opportunity to open a business in Chicago. We should move back north. Let's wow. move to Chicago. And with a little prodding, she went for it. But I know <laughs> being married now, almost 22 years. Oh my God, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I know she felt like she had to give me the opportunity to go do this because mm -hmm. if I wouldn't have, we probably never would have went. I'd have never took the shot and I might have regretted it forever. Wow. Also. Well, let, let me pause right there because there's a lot. And first of all, I'm so fascinated by you being inspired by what you saw, because the story for us, like we're in that same generation gap, it has always been, you need to go to school and get a, either a business degree, go for engineering or go be a HR. Like that's what they tell a lot of us being HR, those kind of jobs. And that's the game plan. But no one ever says, no, you need to get your own business to make money. I didn't hear that growing up. Yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate to be in that space because nobody in my neighborhood, my family, none of this, right? So I was the boy from across the tracks, right? So I went to a private Catholic school, but I got an opportunity to have a glimpse into a world that I'd never seen before. And he just gave me some great piece of advice, at least I think it was. Yeah. But I was going to college, ironically, to go into marketing because, <laughs> here's another funny part. <laughs> I got into marketing because Eddie Murphy and Boomerang. You remember, you remember that? Okay, now wait a minute. Now, so now that I think about it, I can see how Crystal could look like Halle Berry. <laughs> right, <laughs> I can see the connection. Right. It all was going back to the high school movies, right? So between that, that's how I landed on business and this rattling around in my head that, hey, I need to be an entrepreneur. I figure if I get close to business, this would be my shot. I got to go back in the story real quick. Going into senior year, graduating with, not senior year, my final year of my MBA program, mm -hmm. I started working with a headhunter out of Seattle that used to work mm -hmm. for Microsoft. Okay. And I'm like, oh man, this is a great opportunity to go work under a great business icon, Bill Gates and all this. So they're recruiting black MBAs and professionals in and around the campus. And it was this black headhunter woman. And I'm in there week after week going through the program thinking, all right, Washington won't be that bad to move. The wife's like, oh, okay, I don't know. So one day <laughs> we're in this program and this woman said, yeah, cause you know, when you're starting out, you know, it's nothing to work 70, 80, maybe even 90 hours a week while you're putting in your dues. And I remember everyone in the classroom shaking their heads and going, yeah, cause you know, you gotta pay your dues. You gotta pay your dues. And I was in the back thinking, no, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for me. There yeah. has to be a better way. I did not show up again. I saw me on campus one day. She was like, what happened? I was like, I'm not working that many hours for nobody. Wow. Wow. So here's what I'm curious about, though, because I could imagine that there were people who would have had that opportunity on both fronts, the opportunity to see those kind of numbers. And a lot of people would have never opened their mouth and said anything about the checks. They would have never asked the question. They would have never done anything with that information. And they would have followed the path. Again, when you were in the MBA program, you would have followed the path and said, yeah, I've got to do this. What do you think it is that made you ask the questions and then listen to what he said and made you step away from that? Where did that come from? I would guess it comes from my parents, just their love and support. They just mm -hmm. always believed in me and they always gave me an opportunity to kind of take the shots that I wanted to take and okay. mold the life how I saw fit. And they just supported me in a lot of that, supported me in my failures, supported me in my successes. So I think it just really comes down to internal confidence, right? So I believe in me. I believe if I put my mind towards something, I can get it done. And that was validated by my mother and my father my systems around me and my brothers, my sisters. Mm -hmm. 
my friends, my family, my wife, everybody just pretty much believes. So why not? I think I can do it. Wow. I think that's interesting. I've been focused on love languages at, in a different aspect of things. And I just posted something out there about how my love language is books. Right. And it ties into this. Right. I love books. And if you give me a book, we're going to be best friends forever. And when I give gifts, I'm going to give books. One thing I'm noticing, though, about you is that I wonder if your love language is community, because look at what your community has done for you in the support that it's giving you. And then I'm amazed when I watch the community that you have built and you're building a global community with how you're doing the trips to Africa now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting that you bring that up. But community has definitely been an important part of our growth. My support system growing up, my growth, the vision that I see in the future, yeah, it's definitely intermingling amongst us as a people. I think it like harkens back to who we are as mm -hmm. Africans in the diaspora, like going way back. I like to think about before colonization, you know, before the age of the coming of the white man and their terror throughout Africa and our existence here, right? Before that, but we've always been a communal people, right? Mm -hmm. So my sojourn back home to Sierra Leone last month, I found that there and the Mende people and the Timne people there in the Sierra Leone region of Africa, it's just really beautiful, but it's about community support admiration, appreciation for your elders and your ancestors, that was something that's super thick in African cultures. Mm -hmm. I just believe like that's a source of strength that we have and something that we need to lean into. Yeah, I always think about how as women, when I think about African community and just how women used to sit together and commune together and to tell stories and we miss that here. We don't have to griots, we don't have to storytell, we don't have any of that. So that's fascinating. So we talked about your business, right? The base business that you have. How did that come about? Because that, again, not your first venture, right? So how did it get, how did Black flashcards out of all the things that could have been, how did that become the thing that you decided to focus on? Let's see, how can I try to say this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my father was born in 1929 and he grew up with a real affinity to Black history. I grew up, excuse me, in an environment mm -hmm. that has a real affinity to Black history. So it's always been something that's been pressed upon me. People have to know their history. They have to know their culture. They have to know their past. They have to know what the hell they fighting for. So it's always been something that's been stressed to me. Then going into college, I thought I understood, but you start to be around other groups and you start to learn different things and all of this. So I started to have a real appreciation for our history and what wasn't being told. So I, I had an assignment, my history of American economics course, right? To get my MBA. And this white professor tells me, you should write a paper on Black Wall Street tells me all about it. I know we all know what it is right now, but this was 1999. I had never heard of it. Mm -hmm. I was floored going into this particular paper. Wow. It's 35 pages, right? It was just mind boggling what happened. The businesses that they built, the community, the community, here we go, that they had there and they were circulating the dollar in and amongst themselves. This is how a community gets, right? This is why I think I do talk about community because we need to start practicing community economics and sharing our money and resources with one another. But I was really moved and touched by all of that. So anyway, coming out of that paper and that class, I started going around campus selling Black history profiles. And this was oh, really wow. the forerunner of the flashcards, now that I think about it. But I was going to the library, printing out all these Black history because I was just like on fire about it and really just selling them to cover my print costs because other people needed to know this type of information. Mm. I had children, we moved around a bit, but once I had my children and I got to see the educational system again from the perspective as a parent, I couldn't believe that the lies and mis 
conceptions were still being told all these years later. So mm -hmm. I remember a period going through somebody should, and hey, one day I became somebody uh, mm -hmm. and started creating the products and services that I wish I would have had when my children were younger. So that's yeah. like the perspective that I have when we're mm -hmm. generating these products is stuff I wish I would have had. And then we just go out and create it, right? And give it to mm -hmm. our community that we've built up. I love that. I remember as a teacher, I thought about this whole thing, like you can't be it if you don't see it. Mm. And there wasn't really anything in the curriculum that was going to help my students see anything <laughs> other than what was there. So like I said, when I found those flashcards, I was like, yes, I got to have these. And I ordered them for my nephew or I still got some here because <laughs> I ordered them for <laughs> myself too, because I was that enthralled by it. And again, I'm just pointing this out for people that are listening you know, this, I'm noticing a pattern, right? Where you get some exposure, you take your passion for what you have, but then it's always, how can I pour this back into other people? And I don't think we realize that as a monetization strategy, it's the ultimate give back that gives you back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that want what you have that you're given, you know, mm -hmm. but you probably just think it probably comes so naturally to you. You can't figure out how to monetize it. But that's why I think it's good to have a good circle and community around you of people that say, no, nah, you need to try this. You need to go for it. No, this really mm -hmm. is a gift or a talent that you have. People will pay for it. Mm -hmm. Now, what does it look like? Sometimes you have to stumble along to figure it out. The community of urban intellectuals, I started building in 2009 when I got on Facebook. That's the year mm -hmm. that I got on Facebook, mm -hmm. got my domain back, that's another story. <laughs> but I was just stumbling around on the internet for years, right? Because it was just the passion. I wasn't like literally trying to make any money out of it. Right. Once we started generating some money around 2012, 13, 14, it started to get serious. I actually owned another business during this whole time. Right? I owned mm -hmm. several businesses actually leading up to this time. <laughs> But 2014, I told my wife, I said, I think I'm going to close my web design shop. I think I'm going to focus on UI full time. And of course, being her, she was like, go for it. And I got to go back in the story. From 2002 to 2009, I owned a real estate appraisal company. Okay. I was growing and building an appraisal company. Of course, we were building right into the crash, right? Who mm -hmm. knew that was coming? But I remember when it crashed. And I was making six figures then, right? So I was making pretty good money in that company. And I was really beginning to understand scale and starting to get going. The market crashed, everything's changes. So I remember finding out how they decided to regulate the industry because appraisers got blamed for everything, right? They just started blaming us and we need to change, change, change. So they literally interjected a third party management company between the appraisers. Imagine I'm the appraiser and the bank. Right. Mm. Or we were getting our appraisals directly from the bank or maybe a mortgage broker. Mm. They put third party management companies in between the bank and mortgage broker and the appraisers. And all the appraisals had to go to the third party company mm -hmm. and then they would split them out. But here, get this. They would take 50 percent of the money. So 50 percent of the money. Oh, my God. I got to work twice as hard to make the same amount of money that I made the year before. And this company holds no liability or whatsoever, right? So I'm like, listen, I know pimping when I see it. <laughs> and I'm not gonna be a part of this. <laughs> I tell the wife, I was like, I think I'm gonna close the business. And she said, I think you should. She's just been super supportive all the way along here. But in hindsight, it's 2020. Going back, 
I shouldn't have closed the business. I should have turned into an appraisal management company. Mm. That's what I would, if I going back to that moment, that was the lesson that was there for me. I missed okay. that opportunity to move up the food chain instead mm -hmm. of just complaining about it and then bailing out of the system. There was still money to be made. It just right. right? Now, that's a really good lesson to learn because when we think about pivoting, we'll often throw out what we do and then we'll call that a pivot when there could be a better way. Maybe it's time, maybe it's title, maybe it's something else, but there could be a better way to pivot or evolve into something new. That's good. That's yeah, good. I like that. So, well, speaking of evolving and expanding, because that's what you do now. So you had multiple iterations of different businesses, and then you decided to focus on Urban Intellectuals. That's the name of the company. That's where I discovered those flashcards. I remember the UI. I remember the little burgundy logo, <laughs> <laughs> right? The box with the pictures on it and everything. And so now your latest thing that you have given birth to, which has just been exciting and thrilling to watch, is travel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, talk about that a little go, bit. How do you go from a deck of flashcards, right? Like <laughs> literally a deck of uh -huh. flashcards to yeah. taking people to Africa. But the connection really is right there, right? So what we say is at the core, we're a black history company. That's mm -hmm. who we are. That's what we're about. We're about connection. We're about uncovering our history, our culture, learning the truth and building community around this idea that black history is important because it establishes the esteem of one, how they see themselves in the world. You talked about it. You can't be it if you don't see it. If we're not integrating our history and our culture into all of our lessons, not just history of sociology, but mm -hmm. mathematics into geometry, into English, everything needs to come from an African-centered perspective. And so thinking along that lines, we've added to the flashcards, right? We probably got over 20 different products now, including Black History games and trivia and culture mm -hmm. activities. But we added Black History classes, right? Because what we wanted to do was start teaching children about Black history and culture. And we know that the parents have an issue because we've been miseducated as well. So we do yeah. live teaching to the children through our Sankofa Club. And then the adding of travel comes in because now we've studied the flashcards, we've done our history, our culture through our games, through our activities. You've learned, your children been learning through the Sankofa Club. Now it's time to go see it. Now, mm -hmm. instead of just talking about the history or reading about it, we're about to see it up close and personal. We call it Black History Travel Experiences, right? It's not a vacation. It's not like my ties and toes in the sand. It's tours, museums, monuments, lectures, sessions, cultural activities. It's yeah. really an experience that brings the history to life because you can read about what was going on in West Africa, but it's to go over there and to talk to West Africans in Ghana and yeah. get the story of colonization from their perspective. Because then you start to find out that people lying to you on both sides of this water. And it's the same people that used to colonize these areas, but it all clicks and comes together mm -hmm. when you're there and going through those experiences. Yeah. This has been an amazing experience to bring to people. Well, it's the ultimate field trip, right? You know, oh, it's, it's the ultimate field trip. Yes, yes, yeah. That's what I see when I see the stories, when I hear you watch it, when I see the joy that you get out of it. But it's the ultimate field trip. And I'm so glad you are talking about people seeing it and seeing history up close and personal. When I was lived in Minnesota, I lived there for 12 years. Please don't ask why. <laughs> but I was in Minnesota and I would go to secondhand shops and I found these horrible postcards of how they used to represent Black folk in their literature and these books, right? Poor Petunia with the right. big red lips and yeah. uh, or something that you would hang your keys on. And it's two Black faces with a big watermelon. Right? In their mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember my daughter like, why are you buying that stuff? And I said, here's why. 
I know the history of this country. Mm-hmm. And if we don't preserve this and say this was true, 10, 20 years from now, I'd be like, oh, we never did anything like that. Yes. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not what we're doing. So I collect that memorabilia, even as painful and horrible as it is, because I don't want it to be lost. Yeah. And I'm I think shared that. Yeah, because you, well, we could talk about that in a minute, but let's go there for a minute. Because one of the things that I love, and please follow him on Facebook, because (laughs) it's very enlightening, but, and it's very real conversations. But one of the things that I hear you and I see you talk about all the time is representation of Africa and Black history in the media. Yes. Yes. And you don't let nothing slide. (laughs) Okay. And I'm like, oh, it's an entertaining story. He's like, no. No, because, because propaganda has been fed through us through cartoons. And so if you're feeding through cartoons and books mm-hmm. and fictional stories, why wouldn't they do it in movies? It happens all the time. This stuff isn't happenstance, right? Like they literally are painting a narrative. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like, oh, he's got the tin hat on. But until you start reading history and you just start seeing, it's just true, right? And then we yeah. learn every 30, 40 years, the government de- released classified documents and they tell you what they've been doing, right? Like, so there's a certain subsection of people who have interest in reading stuff like that. And it'll just blow your mind that they're not hiding it anymore. They just yeah. tell you what they did. But most people yeah. make excuses and we like to stay, mm-hmm. we like to stay quiet. I might be a lot of things, but quiet ain't one of them. No, we don't get that picture. I remember in college, I got to hear, and I'm so grateful that I did, but I got to hear Dr. Van Sertema speak. Wow. And I got four or five of his books. Every time I find one, I'm buying it and it's a collector's item. But that was the first time I heard about Black Africans melting metal and making spears and the mathematics and Mm -hmm. the language. And it was mind blowing. Yeah. Because I can not only hear him speak about what he discovered, but it was in black and white. But I've never seen that in any textbooks that we're getting in school. Yeah. Never seen it. Yeah. And those are the misconceptions and the hidden history. So the missing pages of world history is black history. That's mm-hmm. really what's being left out of the story. So when you hear it, it just resonates with you. And I think that's why a lot of people are liking our products and our engagements, our activities and our classes, because they're like, Man, nobody else is teaching us this history. It's all watered down to Dr. King and Rosa Set, Martin Walk, so Barack can run, right? Black history's done. Let's just put that on the shelf and keep going. But there's so much more to it. And it's so inspiring to us as a people. It's very inspiring and it's very needed. In this day and age where everybody can be Instagram famous and Facebook rich, I'm always ecstatic when I see you doing something because you're building a business that's based on something real. It's not based on fluff and the impact of that. So I'm curious when you sit back, when you think about 20, 30 years from now, what would you like your contribution to have been when they're making statues of Freddie Taylor? (laughs) You know, like, hey, he went to this school, he did this. What would you like them to say that your contribution has been? Yeah, that he woke up a generation or two. Now we're going through life instead of just coasting, like we're making mm-hmm. our own decisions. We're conscious enough to understand that self-empowerment mm-hmm. is important. Self-sufficiency is critical. And you brought our history and culture to life for a couple of generations, right? Because we get one, two generations that wake up and then they're going to continue to teach and grow the next generation. We just got to get back in control of our minds. So mm-hmm. I'll say for the woke movement, right? He's He woke up a generation or two. <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be I, 
I love that. So this is a, more of a personal question in terms of where I come from as far as being a teacher. Do you have any plans on working with school districts to get more of your content into the hands of teachers that are working in urban and Black communities? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we do. We're doing it now. We're in some schools, but we don't mm -hmm. have enough we're not staffed up enough to really start to go after that opportunity, but it's something that we're working on, right? It sounds, oh, y'all doing a couple of million a year, but listen, that money gets sucked up quickly, right? <laughs> There's a lot that goes into building an enterprise and an organization. So we're ramping up and we're definitely on our way to get into that market. In fact, I'll share with you, we're gonna actually start a school, right? So we're gonna move into that space as well. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of plans. We got a lot of work to do over the next 30 years, right? Yeah. I like that vision being out there. Listen, don't make me go back and renew my certification. <laughs> hey, we always, it's been some years, but I'll go back and get my certification. Hey, we always need consultants. That's the easier way to get involved, right? We can just lend <laughs> yeah. some of your expertise. We're going to need all of that. Absolutely. Um, but somebody's got to change the world, right? And we figure that we can do it one child at a time. So yeah. we're going to definitely slide into that space. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the other piece that I say to that. Somebody's got to set the record straight. And that's what I see a lot of my whole other, and I'll have other conversations with other guests coming about, talk about this, but from the Black history to the Black church, right? We got to set something straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tell the truth, shame the devil, right? Like we, we definitely got to stop tiptoeing around certain yeah. conversations. Just tell it like it is. That's one of my pet peeves. I really hate when church people say that. And I, and I know you're not a church person at all, but and, I, and here's why I say that, because we've been so long saying, tell the truth, shame the devil, and there's never any shame in telling the truth. It's tell the truth, change somebody's life. Yeah, I, right? I say shame the devil because only the devil and the liars, okay, are the <laughs> only ones that's going to feel that heat. So that's where I'm you going know, with it. I know who you're talking about. I know who to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Listen, I've so enjoyed this conversation and all the links to everything, the urban intellectuals, to the flashcard, to travel, all that's going to be in the show notes. Folks, share this episode, share those links, follow the organization, follow them on all the platforms and make sure more people know about this. So in closing... Let me ask you, and listen, people who listen to this podcast, you already know, we're not talking about your standard business tips because you can get those business tips from anywhere. My whole intention, I'm going to say it over and over again, is to peel back the layers of people who are doing the real work of entrepreneurship, not just saying they're making money, not just giving you the Instagram pictures of what they're doing, but this is the real work of entrepreneurship that has impact. And that's what I really want to see people do more of. And so as we wrap this conversation up, what advice do you have to this next generation of entrepreneurs as they're thinking about what they want to offer the world? Yeah, I'll stick with the theme. And I'll tell you that it's all based on community. You mm -hmm. got to build up a community of people that know and trust you. And you genuinely can do that from a point of passion of a place where you're working on something that's important to you and it's meaningful and you can build a community around that. But let me tell you how it serves you. Mm -hmm. We went from selling a $20 deck of flashcards to selling $5,000 trips with the same people. Mm -hmm. And when they get on those trips and they say, why did you choose to come with us? Because your information in your flashcard products is so good mm -hmm. and your customer service and delivery was on point. Everybody answered my questions. I really appreciate. I felt like a family member. Y'all treated us so well. I figure if I'm going to go to Africa, I'm going to go with y'all. And that's all because we set 
a priority on building community. We call it community hugs, hugging mm -hmm. our customers. We're hugging our employees. Cause let me tell you this, everybody that works for the company came from the customer list wow. came from the community. So now mm -hmm. we don't even have to go out and search for talent. We just put out what we're looking for. The community responds because they done bought into the mission. They know it's mm -hmm. something bigger that we're working on. So I would say find what you're passionate about, build a community around it, nurture the hell out of them yeah. and build something special. I love it. I love it. You build something special and you built it for Gladys. <laughs> Did the work of making sure you know who your ideal customer is. You'll see him talk about Gladys if you follow. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. You know, here's what I want folks to understand and really get from this. There's a lot of people online in this space, and I, I've said it over and over again. And the internet has made the barrier of entry into entrepreneurship really low, yes. but it's also made the barrier of being a successful entrepreneur high. And as you encounter people who are like, oh, I'm going to show you how to make six figures and do this and do that. That's nice. But these are the folks in the conversations that you want to listen to because it's beyond the money. It's beyond the image. It's beyond the brand. And this is where real impact. This is where real lives get changed when you have this kind of purpose and why and connection and community. So I'm hoping that's what you hear from this fantastic conversation. Freddie, Crystal is his wife's name. So when you heard me mention Crystal before, dynamic duo, she gets a shout out because I see how you two are together. And that is fantastic. And the support of your community has been amazing. So thank you so much for sharing. And it has been an honor to have this conversation with you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, sis. Thanks for hanging out with us for today's episode. Check the show notes at tygoodwin.com for links and resources. And be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you found value in this episode, please leave us a rating. Until next time, be brilliant, be bankable, and show up like a boss in your life and your business.